The Mariners make moves. Want to trade with the Baltimore Orioles? Bolstering the rotation. Giovanni Gallardo adding speed. Dyson on at first base. There he goes. Pitch on the way inside a ball. And safe at second is Dyson. Upgrading the outfield. Caught with a diving catch by Dyson. What's next for the Mariners? Time to talk some baseball. This is the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle. 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle Sports app. You know it's baseball season when it is truck day at Safeco Field. Glad you could join us as always. Hot Stove Show, Aaron Goldsmith, Mike Flowers, Shannon Dreher. Always on camera, producer-engineer Kevin Krim and Matt Harden running things for us. Flawlessly as always in the studio here at 710 ESPN and you know, Shannon, I think the, the biggest question is, did the shoes make it onto the trunk? This is the yearly question, and we always worry if, if the how big is the how big is the suitcase, first of all? No, no, they go in a, like a, a tub. <laughs> it's, a somebody, it's, it's a trunk. Well, no, I need a trunk. A trunk would be perfect, but really, it's a tub. And I risk life and limb. You might have noticed there was a little snow the last couple of days. I live on a large hill in Issaquah, and I have a small vehicle, not one of the big four-wheel drives. And there was no way I was getting all the shoes and everything into two suitcases. So, yeah, life and limb to drive to Safeco Field with the tub of shoes and some other things yesterday. It's a big day. Big day for everybody, including uh, Dreyer's kicks. So that's, that's a good thing. 1,400-mile journey. Pitchers and catchers, Mike, on Valentine's Day. Position players just a few days after that. And then it is the charity game on the 25th against the Padres. We'll be on the airwaves for that. Can you believe it? 11.55, 12.10, the first pitch. We're already talking about first pitch times in spring training. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to it. This is, is Everybody asks me over the course of the winter, are you ready for spring training? Are you ready for spring training? And, and for myself, and it goes back to the days that I played, I really couldn't get my brain wrapped around it until we were past the first of the year. And even though as a player you're working throughout the winter, um, you don't really start thinking about spring training until you get to that point. And then once you hit February, obviously, you're getting pretty excited about things. So I'm, I'm sure the guys are anxious to get down there. And it's always the best as a player when you show up that first day and, and see guys that you've lost contact with over the course of the winter. And um, you're anxious and, and ready to get going. Well, we've got a loaded show for you here tonight. And we will talk a little spring training near the end of the second hour. Uh, Blake Englert of the Peoria Sports Complex will be calling in. We'll be talking about some of the improvements to the ballpark, including the largest video board in spring training. So that should be fun. We'll also be joined by Tom Verducci of MLB Network, of Sports Illustrated, of Fox Sports as well. Tom will join us in the second hour. We'll also have a chance today to hear from the manager, Scott Service, and Mitch Hanniger as well, Mariners' new outfielder. And as far as I know, Shannon, it's been a somewhat quiet week in Mariners' land in terms of at least Gary mm-hmm. DePoto's activity, has it not? It has. But you know what? I, it, we've seen, I believe it's 36 trades in the last two years. We're going to see another. You know, it's spring <laughs> training. There is always at least one trade. So uh, I think we're very close to the 40-man. I don't think there are a ton of position battles, but a uh, big group going in. And you were talking about all of the new names and the new faces. There were 61 players on the Mariners' spring training roster last year. From that roster, 18 of them are on this year's spring training roster. Well, say those numbers again. 61 on the spring training roster last year. Uh And heading into this spring training, 18 from that roster. Now, that includes guys that are on the team, on the 40-man, and the minors. But just 18, everybody else will be a new face. Okay. So year number two of name tags at spring training, as I think we've all gotten used to. Hey, some news coming out today from uh, Major League Baseball. As as we know, the collective bargaining agreement has uh, come and gone very peacefully, which is a good thing, the labor peace and 
in the game that we love so much. And I think we were all kind of surprised when the collective bargaining was struck that there was nothing in there about pace of action or pace of play, depending on how you want to say it. There was nothing about September rosters. Uh, kind of all these hot-button topics around baseball weren't addressed until right now. that we, we have heard that Major League Baseball is approaching the players' union. Now, the commissioner's office is approaching the players' union specifically about two things, guys. One, intentional walks, basically just putting up four fingers and saying, go to first base. That doesn't seem to be nearly as big of a deal as the next point, and that is the strike zone. Having to move from the hollow of the knee up just a little bit. And I think there's some people who are arguing that you can't have more offense and also have quicker games. But then the other side of that coin is if you're talking about pace of action and not pace of play. You're okay with the three-hour and ten-minute game if you got stuff going on and guys aren't either striking out, uh, walking, or hitting ground balls. I, I think it'll be interesting to hear what Scott has to say about that. Um, I'm sure that a lot of pitchers aren't particularly excited about not getting to the lower part of the strike zone. Um, for myself, if it, if it really is about pace of play, it seems to me that it would make more sense to make the strike zone a little bit bigger. In other words, to encourage guys to swing the bats if all of a sudden you're going to shrink it up on them. Uh, I know for myself as a former player and somebody that stood in the batter's box, I would probably, my tendency would be, to be more patient and try to get into better counts and take advantage of those counts. So I'll be curious to see what Scott has to say about it, and, and we'll see what happens with it. But um, to me, I think that's a pretty dramatic thing. Um, I can't remember, Shannon, maybe you can, but at one point they were talking about the top of the strike zone um, and calling that more often and trying to raise it. And it seemed like they made an effort, but it was for a short period of time, and then everything kind of settled back to where it normally was. And now I wonder if this will be the same case. I think we could we could see that. But I think if you uh, – I want to ask you this because you just said something kind of opposite of what I've heard sometimes. If you shrink that strike zone a little bit, that will encourage guys to swing more because they're calling more strikes. Well, the only way that will happen is if the pitchers feel that they have to throw it in that smaller box. So if you're going to get fastballs early in counts and, the, and you're going to shrink the zone, in other words, you're going to get more pitches in the middle of the plate, then yes – the hitters are going to be more aggressive. But if the pitchers are still trying to pitch around the edges of that and they're not getting those calls, then why not be more patient? So it'll be really up to the umpires and how they're actually going to call this and, and how it's going to work and what the pitcher's frame of mind is going to be and the type of stuff that they have and what they can get away with. Another thing is, I mean, this is kind of probably not the best year to do that with a WVC and a lot of the pitchers being away. I mean, you're going to need that. You're going to need to see that. In spring training, I would think that's going to be the adjustment period for you. So I think that would make it really kind of tough on the guys that aren't in, in spring training. Yeah, I think that's that's probably true, especially guys that like to sink the ball. And, and what's that? what is that going to do for them? You know, I, I think that one of the things that I've seen, because there's so much more power as far as pitchers on the mound and the velocities are up, that those guys will get away with pitching more to the top of the strike zone. So it probably won't affect them as much. But the guys that want to sink it and try to keep the ball on the ground, that can be an issue because as you start to elevate it, it flattens out a little bit more. So it'll be curious. I'll be curious to see how it goes. And, again, it's really going to come down to the umpires and how they're really going to call it. They're talking about a couple of inches. And, and that, I think, even for the umpires to try to make that adjustment on something that they're used to calling, I think can be difficult. I mean, realistically, there's no way that this happens. Well, first of all, it might never happen. But there's no way that it happens for 2017, right? I mean, we are we're seriously just weeks away from – spring training, and 
this would have to be approved. I mean, they'd have to have this in place by spring training for everybody's sake, for the pitchers, for the hitters, for the umpires. I mean, this seems like this is the mammoth boulder just being slightly nudged in one direction. Yeah, I wonder if it's one of those things where, as you mentioned, they're proposing it, Mm -hmm. and if it feels that it's something that could possibly happen, then you start with it at the lower levels. And get those guys used to it so that by the time they get to the major league level, they're used to that. Like a pitch clock. Exactly. Uh, I think to, to just throw it on top of these guys, as you mentioned, Aaron, a few weeks away from spring training, as Shannon mentioned, some of them aren't even going to be there yeah. right away. Good point. I, th- I think you're asking for a lot. So maybe it's something that they implement at the lower levels, let those guys deal with it for your and give a better opportunity to see how it actually is going to work before they actually get it to the major league level. But I'm so over the whole four pitches just like it's just like just who I don't even care. I mean, seriously. I mean, how many intentional walks do we see on a nightly basis? I, mean, I know there are like the forefathers would probably be rolling in their graves if, if baseball <laughs> did this. But to me, it's well, just like. And, a, and how much time are you really saying? Yeah, like I'm. I just don't even. Honestly, I don't even care either way. Right. You're not holding your breath for that one that could get away. Yeah, I mean, like that could be fun. But I'd say, what if it hoses the Mariners? That's. Yeah, I think we're going to propose the automatic four pitches. I mean, I just. I don't think it saves it. Now, Jerry DePoto has run the numbers, no surprise, and he, he has told us that over the span of a season, it saves like 24 hours <laughs> of baseball. In total, all of them. Yeah, combined. all of them together. But as you mentioned, if you're a Mariners fan, you're watching the Mariners game on a daily basis, you're not going to see it that often. Yeah, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but that's just me. All righty. Well, hey, we're off to a good start. we got a lot to cover here tonight on the hot stove. And uh, when we return, one of the new faces that we were referencing, Mariners outfielder Mitch Hanniger coming over in the Taiwan Walker Gene Segura deal. Mitch Hanniger joins us next on the Hot Stove. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Drives one to deep center field. Mitch Hanniger. Hanniger is first major league over, and it's 11-9 Diamondbacks. Hot Stove Show rolls along. Aaron Goldsmith with Shannon Dreyer and Mike Flowers. And it's a pleasure to be joined on the phone from his home in beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. We will be in his neck of the woods awfully soon. Mitch Hanniger, new Mariners outfielder. Mitch, thanks so much for taking some time to join us here tonight. No, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, we uh, we met you for the first time uh, just uh, well, not long ago at all at Safeco Field for, for Mariners Fan Fest and uh, really enjoyed some dugout dialogues with you. How did you enjoy getting inside Safeco Field and interacting with some Mariners fans? Oh, it was great. I mean, so lucky to have such great fans, and, and it was it was a great experience to be out on the field and just kind of take in that atmosphere that, you know, hopefully I'll be feeling for a long time this year and a long time to come. Um you know, the fans are really supportive so far, and it's been an awesome experience, so I'm really looking forward to the season. Yeah, one of the things I saw after Fan Fest was a picture, Mitch, of you 15 minutes after your dugout dialogue still signing autographs out there. What does that mean to you to actually get that interaction? Oh, yeah, that was cool. I mean, I didn't have anywhere to be, so, I mean, there was a lot of kids asking for autographs, so I'm going to stay around and sign as much as possible. Um, a lot of times, sometimes before or right after a game, it can be a little rushed, and, you know, you have to get ready to play or get back into the clubhouse for, you know, in case there's a meeting or something like that. So anytime where I feel like I'm not rushed somewhere, I'd like to, you know, sign for kids because I know what it was like to be a, a young guy looking up to, you know, a major league guy and try to get their autograph. 
Hey, Mitch, for some uh, Mariners fans who don't know a whole lot about you, you know, last year you made your Major League debut near the end of the season with the Diamondbacks, and, of course, you come over to Seattle uh, the day before Thanksgiving in the uh, Gene Segura-Taiwan Walker deal. And looking at your numbers, and, and we've even heard your manager, Scott Service, kind of make mention of this, you have proven about all that you can in the minor leagues. I mean, your last two seasons of the minors, hitting above three fifteen, an incredibly high on-base percentage. Right now... There is plenty of talk, and even from your your manager, about how important you will be to the Mariners at the major league level this season. How anxious are you to get from Scottsdale to Peoria, get around your teammates, and and really prove that you have a chance to make a major impact with this team going forward in 2017? Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun year and a fun spring training. So, just kind of going about my business how I always have, working hard and and um, trying to help the team win and just doing my part to contribute to, you know, as many wins as we can. And I think that's the main focus for me is to keep that simple mindset of doing what I can, doing my part to try to win games. And I think everything else will fall into place with, you know, stats and all that. So, yeah, I, I like keeping it simple. And um, I've heard a lot of good things about the organization. And from what I've experienced so far, it's been awesome. And um, I can't wait for spring training to start. I got down to Peoria today. I uh, drove down yesterday from where I live in the offseason in San Jose, and then I went to the complex today, and um, it was great. Mitch, for the people in Seattle that haven't seen you play, how about a little bit of a scouting report on your game and the, the style of play that you have? Uh, right-handed hitting outfielder. Um, I mean, I've ran into some walls. I'll dive. I like trying to catch everything I can get to, kind of fearless out there, and um, have some power. Guess you got power really like to be picky at the plate. So I think that earns me some walks um, throughout a season and just, you know, a team guy who's just going to go out there and focus on the, that collective goal of just winning as many games as possible. Mitch, you've had some really interesting things to say uh, at the media lunch a couple of weeks ago about your first exposure at the minor, at the major league level. What did you get both on and off the field? In that first month, uh, we saw, you know, the numbers. We saw what you did defensively. It's always a big adjustment. What were you interested to see and what were you interested to get out of that that experience? And what do you take from that? Yeah, it was a great learning um, process, and it was nice to compete against the best in the world. I mean, that's that's what I've dreamt of for a long time now. So it was, um, it was really good, and I think um, it gave me some – stuff to go home in the off season and work on just kind of perfecting my craft with hitting and um, continuing to work on speed stuff to get better in the outfield and um, just trying to improve kind of in every little part of my game, I'd I'd say, I'd say is a big focus and that's going to continually be the focus for me. Mitch, has there been anything when you talked about your off season and your conversations with Scott and coming into spring training, anything in particular that he talked to you about about, maybe what he wanted you to work on or what he expects to see from you as you come into spring training? Uh, no, not really. I mean, he um, he called me after the trade happened, and we talked for a little bit and just kind of asked me some questions about myself and um, pretty much all the similar things that I've been talking with you guys about and talking with other um, media about just playing the game hard. And, you know, he just says from a – manager Sam Porter, he's, he's very laid back and loves us to you know go out and play hard and have fun and um hearing that is great and I think that's that's huge in a manager just to be able to you know let their he'll let his guys go play and and um 
not try to be too controlling, and that's, I think, I've heard nothing but good things about Scott, and I can't wait to play for him. Mitch Haniger, Mariners outfielder, joins us here on the hot stove. And, Mitch, I'm curious a little bit about your, your minor league development. You're a former supplemental round, first-round draft pick by Milwaukee, traded over uh, following that to Arizona, and then, of course, now with the Mariners. And just looking at your minor league year-by-year log, and at one point you were 24 years old, and you were playing in high A ball, so that's old for that level. Last year, you appeared at three different levels: Double A, Triple A, and then, as we mentioned, your major league debut. I, I, just looking at the numbers, Mitch, it seems like something clearly happened that propelled you in two years from high A ball to the major leagues. Was there any kind of mental or physical shift that would indicate uh, that jump? And then, just the astronomical numbers that you put up last year in Double A and Triple A. Yeah, I mean, I would credit. 99% of that toward my hitting mechanics, just changing them and um, trying to improve all my swing. Um, in the past, I had a kind of a bad perception of what a good swing was, I guess. And growing up, hearing kind of the cues that I was taught um, didn't really play. And I had to kind of reevaluate myself and do some do some digging deep down to see why I was struggling with certain things hitting and find the root and the cause of those those things and I think I did um and just been focused on trying to get my swing to where I want it to be and, and last year it definitely got even better than the year before and um I'm continue I just want to keep building off of that and make it as consistent as possible was, was there someone that was overseeing this with you Mitch some some type of guidance or is this something that you kind of discovered on your own I uh I first kind of discovered it on my own just through talking with some teammates about mechanics. And then I started to read a lot of different um, articles and, and even the ebook and stuff on hitting mechanics. And I had a really good understanding of what I wanted to fix. And so I went back home and one of the guys I trained with, um, Daniel Descalso, who just signed with the D-backs, me and him started hitting with a guy named Matt Lyle um, about 40 minutes away from where I live. And, uh, he had he has very pretty much exactly the same philosophy I have towards hitting and towards mechanics, but he's a master of mechanics where I'm still trying to get better and better and learn more and more. And um, he's taught me a lot, and he worked with both of us, and we kind of made a lot of changes to our swings and for the better. And it, and it really helped last year. And I'm looking to keep building off and off of it every year and every day. Mitch, we, we are excited to, to learn of your ebook library when we get down to Peoria soon enough. Uh, and we, <laughs> yeah. and we appreciate you taking the time. It was uh, really a pleasure to get to know you a little bit at FanFest and again here tonight, and we look forward to, to watching you play in person in the Cactus League pretty shortly. Awesome. Thank you very much. New Mariners outfielder Mitch Hanniger, kind enough to join us here tonight from Arizona, where we'll see Mitch uh, very soon from now. Well, Mariners 10-game flex packs are on sale now, so you can enjoy a flexibility of picking games and events that you want to see, including some really big nights. Edgar Martinez number retirement ceremony coming up in August. That's going to be a huge Edgar weekend at Safeco Field, very similar to what we saw last year with Griffey weekend. So be sure to lock up your tickets now. Make sure you're there for so many of the memorable nights at Safeco Field this coming 2017 season. For more details, all you have to do is just go to mariners.com flex. 
Well, we heard Mitch talk a number of times about his new manager, Scott Service. And when we come back on the hot stove, we're joined by the second-year skipper of the Mariners. Scott Service joins us after this timeout. Back to more of the hot stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith and Mike Flowers, Shannon Dreher. As we are continuing through the first hour, just had a nice chat with new Mariners outfielder Mitch Haneker, who had some very nice things to say about his new manager, Scott Service, who is kind enough to join us on the phone. Scott, good to talk to you. Thanks for taking some time. Hey, guys. How's everything in Seattle tonight? A little snowy, a little cold, but things are, it's, <laughs> it's fine. So we're, we're all doing all right. Right, Shannon? I got off the hill. We're fine. <laughs> well, Mike's got about, was it 16 inches, Mike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had to put it in four-wheel drive just to get yeah. here. Yeah, Jerry sent the helicopter to get him. So we're, <laughs> we're all in good shape. We're all in good shape. Hey, Scott, we enjoyed, as always, uh, spending some time with you during Fan Fest and what was a long week for you here in Seattle. And I got to tell you, Scott, one thing that maybe just slipped through the cracks for me, uh, getting to know you last year in your first season that you, you talked about during the dugout dialogue, I did not know, Scott, that you were such a superstitious guy. I mean, you, you, you told the fans that if – correct me if I'm not saying this correctly, that if, for example, if the Mariners were in the midst of a, a little bit of a slide, that you would change the pen that you would use for, for the lineup card, and if the Mariners were on a hot winning streak, you'd keep the pen going. I mean, did you keep this tight to the vest, or did it just slip by me that last season? Oh, it's a long season, Aaron, and it, <laughs> you get so routine orientated that you know everything is tied to the, the clock and what's going on every day. And and uh, obviously, you know, if the team's going well, we try to ride those streaks out. And uh, having played as long as I did and kind of used to the lifestyle, you get tied to uh, looking at the, the superstitious stuff. And, and I, I'm as guilty as anybody as far as that goes. Who's the most superstitious guy you ever played with? Oh gosh, I actually played with Turk Wendell, um, and he's <laughs> when I was with the Cubs. And Turk was known for doing a, a bunch of crazy different things, and he actually had to tone down his act as his career went on. But uh, yeah, he was absolutely the most superstitious guy I ever played with. Did he request anything of you, Scott, since he was a pitcher and you were catching him? And did he have you doing anything before <laughs> the game? You know, he one of the crazy things he would do is if um, you know when you threw the ball back to him on the mound. Um, you know, a lot of times you catch, you'll receive a pitch, and you'll drop to your knee and throw it back, which was great. If you ever stood up to throw the ball back to him, he would squat down like a catcher. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was crazy, some of the, the stuff that he would do and, you know, how he would walk around the mound. And we'd come into the game and always throw the rosin bag down right behind the mound. And, you know, he could never touch the ball. Ah, it was crazy, all the stuff he, he did. But, uh it got too, too, he got so consumed in it, it at times took away from what he was trying to do. So he did tone it down later in his career. Are you the most superstitious guy on the coaching staff right now? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I think there's guys that are just as bad as I am. Okay, so as bad, no one worse. I understand. All right. <laughs> Probably nobody any worse. But, <laughs> you know, Casey Candell does a lot of crazy stuff. And some of it, I guess you could call superstitious. Some could just say was tied to his personality. But, uh, you know, we've got a great group of guys, and uh, they all do things a little bit differently. Speaking of the guys, Scott, last year coming in, first-year manager, new staff, trying to get to know everybody. Um, and you did a fantastic job with it. And I know you talked a lot last year um, in spring training and at the start of things, how important it was for the guys to get to know each other quickly, for them to get to know you. Uh, what will be different this year going into year two for you? 
Well, thanks to the active off season we had again, a lot of the things <laughs> we tried last year will probably have to be put in play this year because, uh, you know, we do have some new faces and, and guys that we're excited about getting them in Mariner uniforms and seeing them out on the field. But, you know, what we do in spring training, and not just because we have new faces this year, but I think every year is different, Mike. And, you know, playing and, you know, every team kind of takes on a little bit different personality. But, uh, you know, I think it's important to, to kind of like establish uh, that culture and create a platform for guys for the personalities to come out. And the sooner the better. Uh, I think that's uh, allows guys to get comfortable with each other and then get to rely on each other and really trust in each other. And we're going to spend a lot of time this spring training doing as well. And, and we'll do some fun stuff. You know, a lot of the things that, that came about last spring, you know, starting with the pool table and some of the different things we did, it just happened. It's not like I sat around all off season and thought about, okay, I'm going to do this on day five and then do this on day eight. It doesn't really work that way. You kind of let the guys be who they are. And, um, you know, you try to, like I said, create a platform, some discussions for some of the, the uniqueness of their personalities to come out, and, and we'll do that again this spring. What was great, Scott, is a year ago we heard a little bit about this. We'd never seen you manage a club before. We thought, okay, maybe we'll see that for a couple of weeks in spring training, training maybe three, maybe four. But then we saw it throughout the season. How do you keep that going throughout the season? When do you know it's time to do something and, and just kind of the value of those extra things in a 162-game season? Well, I think all along, Shannon, you were with me around around me the whole year. It's really important to be consistent. I think as much as spring training is fun, it's loose, nobody's really keeping stats. You know, we, we want to win every game, but it's not the end of the world if we don't. We're, we're trying to get ready for opening day and, and move forward there. So it's easy to have fun and relax at that time of year. I think it's a little bit bigger challenge is to keep that going throughout the season. And uh, lucky for me, my coaching staff, uh, the guys coming up with different ideas um, and, and coming up with ways to keep it loose, keep our players engaged and, and having them look forward to coming to work every day. And I think we did a good job of that. And I think it showed in how we played at the end of the year. Uh, we still had some gas in the tank, so to speak, and then played well in September. And you know, I look for nothing any different this year. Hopefully stay away from the, you know, the losing streaks and the slides a little bit like we uh, fell uh, a part of last year. But, uh, you know, it is such a long season. You've got to keep it loose. You've got to keep it fun and, and get the guys wanting to come to work every day and, and getting to know the guys next to them really helps. I think the, one of the things that was impressive to me is, as you mentioned, some of the losing streaks, and it happens to every team um, regardless of how talented you are. I thought that last year watching you – when you're going through those issues at times and your team is struggling um, to maintain that consistency and to still have some of those things that maybe you've already scheduled and to, and to stay true to that. Is there any one particular manager, coach, something along the way you played for a long time that had that sort of impact on you that you thought that, that's the right way to go and it's important to be that way? You know, I, I don't know if there was a particular manager or coach. I think it's kind of, you know, kind of looking at what, you know, successful coaches in all different sports. You know, we just got done watching the Super Bowl and and we've seen what you know, Pete Carroll and the people, the Seahawks have done. And, you know, I look and take pieces from everybody that is successful and then try to put that into my own personality and, and taking in, in account our, what our entire coaching staff brings to the group and, and, and come up with different ideas to, to be unique and to have it be fun and, and do some of the different things. So there's not one particular coach. I try to take bits and pieces from a lot of different people uh, that I admire uh, throughout, you know, all sports, not not just baseball. So um, it's something I really enjoy and, and take a lot of uh, have a lot of passion 
and how good can we get at this and how much fun can our players have coming to work and, and how proud they can be of being a Mariner, you know, and along the way that's tied to winning. And I think, you know, that's kind of where we're at as an organization. We see how aggressive we've been and trying to put our team together and we believe our window of winning is now and, and we want to take the next step and get into the playoffs. Scott, since you brought up the Super Bowl and we know you're a football guy, you know, Kevin and I were talking about this before the show started. And one of the things that that Super Bowl really shine a bright light on for me is that it is really a skill, regardless of what sport you play. It is really a skill knowing how to finish a game, how to close out a game. I mean, in baseball, obviously there is a closer, so it's especially important in our game. But how do you teach a team how to finish games, especially when there's so many of them in baseball? And obviously the only way to practice is that is real-life opportunities because clearly it's easier said than done. Yeah, it, 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 it's a mindset. You know, it really is. And, and uh, you know, baseball a little bit different. You know, finish, you're talking about bringing your closer. Uh, but more importantly, I think uh, you look at baseball, it's those games where, you know, you're, you're kind of in control of the game. You're up two, maybe three runs. But you have an opportunity to really add on and, and kind of bury your opponent. So instead of it being a two-run game, now it's a six- or, or seven-run game by getting a big hit and keeping the pressure on. So, you know, baseball a little bit different uh, than, than football. Uh, in that regard, as far as wearing down your opponent. Uh, but I think, you know, being able to finish, that's um, a certain sense. It's a it's an ability your team and a confidence it has about them knowing that we will get this done. And it usually starts, you know, with the leaders on your team, which are typically, you know, hopefully your better players, um, your veteran guys. And I certainly, um, you know, really have a lot of faith in our guys and our, our, particularly our leadership group, our veteran guys to to keep the hammer down, so to speak, keep the pressure on opponents, and then, you know, really drive home to our younger guys how important it is to finish. And a lot of times you can finish a game in the sixth inning by finishing them off just like you can in the ninth inning getting that final out. It's always a pleasure to be talking things over with the Mariner Skipper, and we're back with a second segment with Scott Service coming up on the hot stove right after this timeout. All things Mariners, all off-season. The hot stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Hot stove show continues with the Skipper, Scott Service, Aaron Goldsmith alongside Mike Flowers and Shannon Dreher. Scott, you know, one of the things that was so interesting last year was, of course, knowing your personal and professional history with Jerry DePoto and seeing that work out in front of our very eyes, you two working so well in unison over the course of the season and, of course, the off season. And, and I'm curious, knowing Jerry for as long as you have and as well as you have and as well as you do, I should say, what was the one thing that you learned about Jerry last year that you, you didn't know about him uh, before the season began? Uh, interesting question. <laughs> I don't know. I've worked, worked with them for, for quite a while now, obviously. I think, um, you know, working kind of side by side to him in more of like a, a front office position, a little bit different than, you know, the, the manager GM relationship in that, you know, I've kind of got, you know, my space or, or the things that I'm in charge of, you know, down in our clubhouse. Um, I think the one thing, um, I did realize, uh, with Jerry is, you know, seeing him in that environment on a regular basis where he's down interacting with our players and our coaching staff is, you know, how much he really cares uh, about the people. And I, I know, it, you know, people sit back and, you know, you look at all the moves he's made and trying to put uh, the team together that can help us, you know, get to the playoffs and, and take the next step here. But he really genuinely cares about the people. 
the players, uh, the coaches, the people in the clubhouse, the cook, everybody. And that's really, it says a lot about, you know, his leadership style and, and what he's all about. When you talk about your relationship with, with Jerry, and I know that going into last year, you guys had an idea of, of what you wanted the team to look like and, and the way you wanted things to work out. Obviously, you get into the season through either injury or performance. That kind of changed a little bit. You guys ended up hitting a lot of home runs for you last year when I know you wanted to run a little bit more. Then you go into this winter that after having that experience. How involved are you into all of these deals that Jerry has made over the course of the winter? I know it's a little bit different in the summer because you're so busy with your ball club, but how much input do you have over the course of the winter and with all these changes that we've seen? Well, nobody knows the players like like around the league, you know, like like Jerry does in, in our front office group. And that's just not the big league rosters. That's, you know, you start getting into minor league systems and, and which systems are – you know, maybe overloader to have a surplus of a certain position. So those guys have a much better idea where the matchups are, you know, based on what we're looking for and who may have surplus or players available. I think once it gets to the point where, you know, names are, are, are discussed and then, you know, Jerry will always keep me in the loop and, hey, here's what I got a chance to do here. What do you think about this one there? How do you think that affects? And, you know, I've often said, you know, my previous jobs really, really helped me understand and in, in trying to, to balance a payroll. And you only have so many dollars to spend and, and how to allocate those and understanding the importance of what certain players bring or, or filling certain positions, you know, the importance of that on our, on our ball club going forward. So, you know, we communicate, you know, nonstop. But at the end of the day, um, you know, Jerry knows the players. He knows them better than I do um, and what the value of those players are. Now, fortunately, we, we look at and we – we value certain things in players, and you've heard us often talk about, you know, off the mound, you know, the guy's ability to, to throw strikes and, and miss bats and, and do some of those things. And, and again, offensively, get on base, uh, control the strike zone, um, you know, and, and, and be more athletic. So we're looking for the same thing. He obviously understands the players and, and knows them in more detail than I do. But, you know, through the course of these deals, you know, he fills me in on where we're at. And ultimately, it is his decision. Uh, my job is to take the team that, that our front office group puts together and, and then get them in, you know, starting here next week in Arizona and help molding that club together and, and making all the pieces, you know, oil the pieces up and make sure that the, the engine runs smoothly. So I love that part of the job, and I think, you know, Jerry uh, really enjoys his part of the job. Scott, we know speed has been added to the team. We also know that you wanted to run a little bit more last year. It was a focus in spring training. And it didn't quite work. How do you address that this spring training after what you saw last year? Well, that was the goal when we started, you know, and, and you know, we talked about obviously we had Leonis Martin and we thought Cattell Marte was going to be able to do a little bit more there and, and Nori Aoki. Those were kind of our, our three main guys. And that, you know, once we got going early in the season, we just weren't having a lot of success running and, you know, the value of an out. And you don't want to give those outs up on the bases. Um, and it really hurt us at times. So we kind of had to pull off the jam a little bit and back off guys and on what we were doing. And because we were still scoring runs at a really good rate because we were knocking the ball out of the ballpark. So instead of trying to move that guy into a scoring position, a lot of times he was already in scoring position at first base. <laughs> so we, we backed off that a little bit. So, you know, with the additions we have this year, we have guys with uh, very proven track records of stealing bases at the big league level with, you know, Segura and Dyson. Uh, Hanniger has done it at the minor league level. Um, hopefully Leonis can stay healthy all year, so he'll be a real force for us there, you know, from day one. So uh, we should be able to be more efficient and, and better at that. And, 
you know, it's fun to steal bases, but you have to steal them at a very good rate. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense to, to take a chance giving up that out. So the guys we have have track record of being uh, very good uh, success rates. Um, you'll see us be very, very aggressive in spring training um, to kind of get a uh, feel for what we have in those guys. A couple of minutes left with the manager, Scott Service. And, Scott, uh, news coming out uh, just the other day that the commissioner's office has proposed some potential rule changes to the players' union. One would be the automatic intentional walk instead of the four wide ones. And then the other part, probably the bigger one of the two, is uh, altering the strike zone or raising it up slightly uh, just above the kneecap. What were your initial thoughts when you heard about at least the proposal of those rule changes? They've been talked about for a little bit, I think, at, at, at GM meetings and, and winter meetings type situations and trying to speed up the game. I don't know how much, you know, the intentional walk will really speed up the game. I am in favor of just, you know, having put the four fingers up and just have the guy run to first base like they kind of do in, in high school ball or, or whatnot. I, I am a favor uh, in favor of doing that. As far as, you know, raising the strike zone, that, that takes – it's a little bit tougher to do. It takes time. Uh, I think for to see a big difference, and obviously it's it's tied to the umpires and them making an adjustment, um, and then you know along the way the pitcher has to too. So um, I think that one will be a little bit tougher to put in play, but I'm all in favor of just holding up four fingers and letting that guy walk to first base. All right, Scott, we've uh, we've saved the the hardest question to the end. Fans can always submit their questions for our guests here on the Hot Stove Show by simply following and tweeting to at Mariners and. A big Mariners fan, a big Rainiers fan, at Tacoma Game Fan asks Scott, can you tell us a little bit about Scott Brocious, his role, and what he brings to the club's coaching staff as he will be uh, Edgar Martinez's right-hand man as an assistant hitting coach? Yeah, really excited to uh, to add Scott uh, to our coaching staff. And we're, uh, last year at this time, I was really happy to have him in the organization. Uh, I know he had was ready to step back into pro ball after having a very successful, you know, collegiate career coaching. And, and, uh, we were lucky to get him. Um, and, and I think on, and for his sake too, get, having the opportunity to go to Tacoma, uh, instead of just jumping right into the big leagues, I think really helped him. Uh, I, I know it, it helps a lot of guys and, and you're not just on the you know, big stage and you're still working with players and have an impact, but it allows you to kind of, you know, test a few things, so to speak at, at the minor league level. But, Having Scott on board I think is going to be huge. Um, obviously, a very good career uh, as a player. Uh, he speaks the same language, you know, that, that Edgar does and myself when we start talking to our hitters and what we're trying to do. I think Scott's biggest impact uh, will probably be in our, our preparation, you know, as we go through our, our daily meetings with our hitters, breaking down, you know, the opposing pitchers, their tendencies, getting that message across to our hitters, and then working hand-in-hand hand with Edgar you know, when, when guys are in the cage and trying to work on some mechanical things. So uh, it, it gives, you know, another outlet for our players, somebody else for them to connect to. Um, the thing with Scott is is um, he's, he's very frank. He's very upfront. There's really no BS. You know, he's not afraid to have the tough conversation uh, with players. I think uh, the guys that he had in AAA last year really appreciated that, the, the honesty. And, and it's not going to change uh, with our guys in the big league. So, again, really happy to have him on board. I think he's going to be a big boost for us and really help out Edgar. Hey, Scott, we know that family time is precious as we approach your final free days before a pitchers and catchers report and you get things cranked up in Peoria. So sincerely, Scott, we appreciate you taking some time and giving us not just one, but two segments here on the hot stove. Thank you so much. No problem, guys. Look forward to seeing you down in Peoria and uh, big year, uh, whatever it takes. That's our slogan this year. And looking forward to everybody's support up in the Northwest. It's going to be a fun 
fun ball ballpark to, to come see us uh, play out at Safeco. So take care, and I'll see you in Peoria in a few days. All righty, you got it. Scott Service, Mariners' second-year manager. We're excited to get things going as well. We've got more coming up on the hot stove right after this quick break. The Mariners make moves. Oh, what a trade with the Baltimore Orioles. Bolstering the rotation. Giovanni Gallardo. Adding speed. Dyson on at first base. There he goes. Pitch on the way. Inside a ball. And safe at second is Dyson. Upgrading the outfield. Caught with a diving catch by Dyson. What's next for the Mariners? Time to talk some baseball. This is the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle. 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Second hour of the Hot Stove officially underway. We have taken your phone calls. If you weren't with us, the trivia question, who was the last 2020 player in franchise history? The inspiration from this comes from the Mariners' new shortstop, Gene Segura, who had 20 home runs and 33 bases a season ago for the Diamondbacks. So hopefully uh, more to look forward to for Segura and company this season. So for the answer to this week's trivia question, let's go to the audio vault. Matty, what do you got? The 0-1 delivery on the way to Cameron. Swung on and a high fly ball. Hit deep to left field. That will fly away. The magic is still here. Mike Cameron has hit a two-run home run to give the Mariners the lead amazingly. 5-4. Unbelievable. First pitch. It's been two weeks to the day since Cameron homered. And he comes back and he hits a dramatic home run. That puts the Mariners ahead. And 44,000 again are going absolutely bonzo. <laughs> That's sensational. 2002, Mike Cameron, 25 bombs, 31 bags. Junior did it. A-Rod did it. Phil Bradley, Rupert Jones. Saunders, Michael Saunders, our good friend, came close. 2012, 19 dingers and 21 bases. So the winner of the 2017 Diamond Era Trident Cap is Kurt Corbally from Renton, Washington, a fine spring training name. Kurt Corbally is the winner <laughs> of this week's trivia question. Uh, you know, uh, the 2020 season is something you see players are running so much less than they used to. Mm-hmm. It's an element that has not been, of course, entirely taken out of the game, but it's, we're not seeing as many steals for so many reasons, it seems like. Uh, the home run totals are there, and I was thinking about this today, guys. When you think about home runs hit last season, only one year in Major League history did we see more home runs than were hit a season ago. And to me, it, you know, obviously you have the 40 home run guys, right? You have the the huge bats. There were, I think there were eight 40 home run hitters last year. But, Mike, to me, the biggest difference, last year we saw every lineup with so many guys with 10 home runs, 11 home runs, right. 15 home runs. I mean, just for so many lineups, in, especially in the American League, there's just very few spots of relief when it comes to power, at least. Yeah, we talked about it a lot last year. I, I think the length of the lineup, when you talk about the ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark, um, but with that, we also saw a lot of strikeouts. Yeah. Um, so I'll be curious to see which direction the game goes in and how, because they're constantly making adjustments and changing, and I think a big part of that are the amount of arms that we're seeing that, Guys, just the, the power that which they're, they're – I think it's harder to hit today. And I think sometimes the attitude is all or nothing um, as opposed to just trying to be a quality hitter. Now, there are obviously a lot of guys in the Mariners are fortunate to have a number of them um, that are quality hitters along with hitting for power and, and obviously the big year that Cano had last year. Um, so I'll, I'll be curious to see how the game goes. You talked about running. Um, I thought it was interesting to see Mike Trout last year. 
because we, we all thought, well, Sosha is holding him back now because obvious reasons. He doesn't want him to get hurt, but he ran more last year. So I'll be curious to see where he goes and what that means for the game because obviously we've talked about it with the Mariners. Shannon, you mentioned it earlier with Scott. They want to see them run more. They do. They want to see him run smart, too. And right. it's just interesting to see so much put into it and then just the red light put up because they couldn't do it. And it was kind of one of the few areas where we saw them really not have success in what they tried to implement early. And I was interested to see how he would tackle that. But, you know, we're looking at a different kind of offensive player right now, and I don't think there's any more evidence than what you've seen as far as the free agent signings. And 40 home runs, not enough this year. You've got to be a more complete ball player be it the on-base percentage or that ability, I think the steal bases will see more of as they're looking as they've got more of it in the lineup, different ways to score runs because it you know, clearly is not enough anymore to be an all-or-nothing guy. Those guys were on the market for a long time. Some still are. Right, well, and the ability to play defense, but also it also shows the importance, at least what different organizations are valuing in putting the ball in play. And it's not a secret anymore. Now right. they all right. are. Right, right. I, I, I love this conversation because it's so topical for what's happening today. We mentioned Mike Napoli just agreeing to terms of one-year deal for the Texas Rangers, kind of a boomer bust guy coming off a, a monster season in terms of the power from a season ago. But even better than that, the guy who led the National League in home runs, Chris Carter, with 41 round trippers, the Brewers said, eh, we'll pass. He just signed a one-year deal for $3 bucks for the Yankees. I mean, 41 home runs, Mike. And Shannon, and it, and it gets you three mil. Talking about playing in Japan a day yes, ago. Yes, exactly. Now, you know, some of that could have been some... Let's uh get this going. Just, yeah, to stoke the flames a little bit. But my goodness, you would think with 41 dingers, you wouldn't have to stoke the flames much. Well, we obviously had seen a lot of Chris when he was in Houston. And I think uh, tremendous power, but he's also going to be a guy that strikes out a lot. And I think the one thing that most managers and probably general managers have a hard time with is those drop-offs and how dramatic they can be, and you're not sure what you're going to get or how long it's going to take, even though you know at the end of the year there's going to be that. Those power numbers are going to be there, but the other numbers are also something that I think it can be frustrating at times, and they think that they're actually putting more value into being on base and creating pressure on the defense and the pitcher and putting the ball in play and, and those types of things, which is the way the game used to be played. And there was something to that, and, and hitters hated to strike out now. There, there's a transition in everything, so I don't expect things to change this year because that's what they want. It, it just doesn't happen overnight. It takes time, but it's interesting to watch the way this game is going. Mike, do you remember, and I, I tried to hold it together while you were talking about Chris Carter there because the memory came to my mind of a day game at Safeco Field against the Brewers. Carter's at first base, and there's a chopping ground ball to him. I'm talking just belly button high. Two hopper. Two hopper. <laughs> And he uses his bare hand to stab it and then step on first base, and then the inning was over with. And I, I couldn't even I couldn't even get the words out of my mouth. We went to break, and I looked at you, and I said, did he just use his bare hand for that? I mean, that's why they've got gloves, right? Yeah, but I used to see Omar do it all oh, the sure, time. Yeah, and they're a similar guy. type of Same player. Same guy. <laughs> same guy. <laughs> you know, but along those lines, you, know, you think about last this time last year, Jason Hayward. Right, 184 million bucks for a guy who's a defensive first right fielder, whose greatest contribution to a World Series was a speech during a rain delay. Right, it was a good one. It was a heck of a speech. Apparently, helped win the title for the Cubs. But I mean, to your point, a guy who hasn't seen 20 home runs since his rookie season is far from a power hitter. Last year struggled so much that this winter he's completely revamped his swing, and he had 
an enormous free agent payday and a guy who hit over 40 home runs didn't. So, Shannon, along the lines of what you're saying, said, rather, it's uh, it's interesting what general managers are valuing in today's game. And what a difference a year can make. I mm-hmm. mean, that's that's beyond dramatic right there. But it's, you know, what's going to be the next thing? Everybody's now got their analytics guys, which you would take for granted. I remember two years ago reading a tweet about, I, I can't remember which organization it was, but they were getting their first guys, their first number guys. Now their entire departments. It's right. the understanding now is, is, and I think a lot of it is what Mike says, you know, power slumps. Mm-hmm. On base does not. There's a higher, you know, and saving runs right. is, you know, is, is huge as well. So it's just almost it's a different game behind the scenes. And now economically for the players, it seems to have caught up. Shannon, I was curious, talking about saving runs, by the way, but Mike Cameron, um, I thought about this when, when Cammy first came over and was taking over center field. Obviously, Junior had been the best player in the game and beloved in Seattle for all the right reasons. And I thought to myself, when he first came in, what a tremendous amount of pressure. That is a job I would not want, to have to go out to center field and take over a spot where 24 had run around and put up those type of years. But it almost seemed, not not that he, he put up the numbers that Junior did, but he, he almost changed that instantly. And it's funny how this game goes sometimes, but I remember him robbing a home run, going up over the right. fence. And similar type of smile that we saw from Junior through all those years from Cameron. And it was almost as if he became a part of this thing overnight when I thought it was going to take forever and maybe was going to have a lot of pressure on him, but it just seemed that that did not happen at all for Cammy. What would have happened if that ball had dropped? Yeah, exactly. And, and it was it's funny because that's something else that comes into it is just kind of the mentality of the player. And what we learned about Mike Cameron is he's not one who's going to stress about a lot of things. And, and so perhaps that was almost the perfect person, and he was there for the perfect moment. And he embraced it. He realized he did. it. Right away when he did that, he felt a part of it, which was uh, exciting. But, uh, you know, a fun player. What a great moment in history. And 40th anniversary, I'm sure it's one we will celebrate at some point this season. Best post-game interview, Mariners radio history. Mike Cameron, four home run game. We'll save that for the archives. There you go. <laughs> hey, when we come back, we're going to talk some spring training with a man who's really helping to run things down to the Peoria Sports Complex. Blake Englert, the superintendent of the ballpark, is joining us on the phone after a quick break. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now mark your calendars, February 25th, Mariners and Padres. The charity game to kick off spring training. We are on the airwaves at 11.55. Seattle time, 12.10, the first pitch. Welcome back to the Hot Stove, as we will take you right now down to wonderful Peoria, Arizona. Blake Engler, the superintendent of the Peoria Sports Complex, joins us over the phone. And, Blake, uh, how how nice of a day was it down there in Arizona? Paint the picture for us because we're eager to get there. Yeah, how are you guys doing? We're excited to get you guys down here. Yeah, we are uh, We are thrilled. It is, uh, it is about that time of year to get into the sunshine, and we know that there are uh, some, some new additions to the ballpark down in Peoria, including... What is, Blake, am I right about this, the largest video board in the Cactus League? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, actually, the Cactus League and the Grapefruit League. So uh, we're precedent setters there, and, and believe it or not, it's actually a race to the finish to get it completed in time. So it's about two-thirds of the way constructed. <laughs> two-thirds, okay. Well, it's better than one-third. Uh, all righty, so <laughs> you got to the 25th, Blake. I mean, you, is there a big whiteboard with a – a, a date circled on there for, for these guys to get it cranked out by then? 
Yeah, but you know what? That's really no difference in every season. There's always some project <laughs> in the works that takes us right down to the wire. I understand there's a new kids area as well. That, uh, that's right. Uh, you know, you guys are familiar with all the renovations and improvements we've been making over the last several years since uh, both the Mariners and the Padres uh, renewed uh, leases with the city of Peoria to, to host spring training there for another 20 years. And the first phase of that was a significant investment to upgrade both clubhouses, and that was really the biggest part of the project. And then we spent the second year uh, upgrading uh, some amenities on the concourse, and, uh, and now we're focusing on some youth-friendly amenities with uh, the Peoria Cove, we're calling it. It's a uh, large children's play area with uh, a couple of different themes to it. Um, you know, having the Mariners uh, with the Pacific Northwest and, and the Sound there, and then, of course, the Padres down in, in Southern California right on the bay as well. They, You guys both have that nautical uh, coastal theme, so... The playground that we built has uh, tones of that with the uh, playground set inside of a ship theme and the whole area uh, that the kids can play in. It's called Peoria Cove, and we've got the shipyard with that playground, and you'll see when you guys come down, you'll see the the uh, outline is actually just set inside of a the frame of a ship. And then we also have a mini field um, where we'll have some structured uh, play activities for kids as well. Well, the ever-expanding Goldsmith family thanks you for the uh, pirate ship the Peoria Sports Complex. We're joined by Blake Engler, the superintendent of the Peoria Sports Complex. And uh, as as we hear uh, back here in the Northwest, it sounds like ticket sales are already off and running, Blake, for spring training games for the Mariners. Yeah, we took off, you know, in uh, mid-December, and and then we just opened the actual physical ticket office uh, January 28th. So we do online sales for about six weeks, and then we we kick in the full operation there, and and. Uh, ticket sales are up again. At uh, some, some point, it seems like they're going to have to go down, but it uh, seems like everybody's excited about the Mariners again, and for good reason. And and uh, we're fortunate to have you know two teams, so we're going to have you know a good 35 straight days of, of baseball. You know, we know there's there's fall ball and there's instructional leagues and things like that, but how much is that used outside of baseball, the complex? You know, uh, it surprises people. Uh, they, they seem to think that, you know, once April 1st rolls around, we all go back into hibernation and, and wait till the next December to start uh, unpacking things and getting ready. But, you know, outside of just the player development side of, of baseball, you know, there's a lot of youth tournaments. And then there's a lot of stuff that goes on that's not on uh, in between the lines. And it's in the parking lot or in the stadium. There's car shows or festivals or, uh, I mean, you name it, we, we done everything at least once it seems like well blake we certainly appreciate your time and we are uh, eagerly awaiting our arrival date and of course the first spring training game for the mariners the charity game against the padres on the 25th we can't wait blake thank you so much for joining us all right warm weather awaits you guys well, that's what we like to hear there's blake angler the <laughs> superintendent of the peoria sports complex joining us here tonight on the hot stove show lots to get to here as the second hour continues when we return one of the best baseball writers in the country, Tom Verducci, joins us. You know his work from MLB Network, from Sports Illustrated, from Fox as well. Tom Verducci comes around the corner after this timeout. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. One more question for you. You caught the last out that sent the Cubs to the World Series. Do you still have it? <laughs> Do I still have it? I'm sleeping with this thing tonight. Are you kidding me? We're going to the World Series. 
Welcome back to the Hot Stove Show. The voices you just heard, all-star first baseman for the Chicago Cubs, Anthony Rizzo, and our next guest, Tom Verducci, who does outstanding work for any number of outlets covering Major League Baseball, Sports Illustrated, Fox, and also MLB Network. And, uh, Tom, we've done this um, a, a number of times before during the baseball season. The last time we did this, we were outside of the TSA security checkpoint at the Toronto airport. So thanks so much for taking some time with us over the phone here tonight on the Hot Stove Show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a great time of year. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, Tom, since we just heard the Chicago Cubs and Anthony Rizzo, let's start off talking about what was just a postseason that we will remember uh, for the rest of our lives. Of course, the Chicago Cubs breaking the curse, and you were there. You had a front row seat to the whole thing, and that interview that we heard with, with you and Anthony Rizzo was one of my favorite moments of the postseason. Everything about it was terrific, and even the camera angle kind of was shooting up at you guys to almost make both of you seem even larger than life on what was already just a, a grand at night to begin with. What is it that you take away the most covering just an absolutely epic World Series? Well, I have to tell you, Aaron, first of all, I'm not a fan of any one team. I, I really love the game of baseball, but there's always been a part of me that wondered what it would be like to cover a postseason, especially a World Series, with the Chicago Cubs. I mean, I think of all the people who covered baseball for a century and never got to see the Cubs win a world championship. And again, not so much on a personal level, but on a professional level. And I kind of always wondered what it would be like. So while it was all going on, um, I just thought professionally it was an honor, it was a privilege to be front and center for something like this. And, you know, the fact that, that the baseball itself was just extraordinary just just added to it. I just remember the, the entire month for me was just one run of adrenaline. Um, and, again, it was a thrill to be there. And then the games, as great as they were, and the excitement, especially in Wrigley Field, um, listen, I, I, I was privileged to have such a front row seat for it. It was a lot of fun. One of the things that I think a lot of baseball fans take away from the World Series, but the postseason altogether, was bullpen usage. And, you know, Terry Francona was one of the guys to kind of sum it up and say that if you used relievers the way that you used them in the postseason, they'd be burnt out probably by the end of the first month of the year. And he made mention that the Indians had more off days in the postseason than they had, I think it might have been in, in the whole final month or month and a half or whatever it might have been in, in the regular season. What did you draw the most from bullpen usage in the postseason we just witnessed? Yes, I, I think it did reestablish the model of bullpen usage for postseason only. In other words, I think we'll see the same sort of patterns and aggressiveness and urgency in postseason play next year. We will not see it in the regular season. As Frank Kona said, you would burn out your pitchers. Um, yeah, I think the, the Indians had more off days in October than they had to play their last 142 games. <laughs> okay, so more season. than just a month. <laughs> yeah, so when you know you're playing, essentially you're getting one day off for every game you play in the postseason, you can be more aggressive with your bullpen guys. Uh, the only time you play three games in a row is the middle games of a seven-game series, which could happen once or at the most twice. So, you know, leveraging the relief pitching as much as not just the Indians, but the Dodgers with Kenley Jansen and, and really everybody throughout the postseason. I think we'll see more of that in postseasons going forward. But, no, if you're looking for uh, Andrew Miller in the fifth inning of the game in, in April this year, <laughs> it's not going to happen. We're talking with Tom Berducci. You're familiar with his work from, well, any number of sources, uh, Sports Illustrated, also with uh, Fox Baseball coverage and also uh, MLB Network as well. You know, Tom, when you think about pitching and the way that a general manager goes to construct 
his roster, and you look at Jerry DePoto and what he's done with the Mariners, right now he, he now has five starters going into camp. The the depth, at least the the veteran depth, is not great behind those five, but the bullpen is improved from what it was last year in a bullpen that really ended the year uh, really very strongly. You go back to those Kansas City teams, Tom, I mean, those teams were not built around a rotation. They obviously had a just an absolutely crushing bullpen. The Indians, on the other hand, had a rotation that until it got completely marred by injury, almost top to bottom, it was a team that was built around a rotation more than any other team in baseball. How have you seen a pattern develop as to what is the most effective way to go about building a pitching staff? Is it around your, your starting five, or is it around uh, the closer in the ninth inning and working on down in the bullpen? Well, I think, Aaron, in, a, in an ideal world, I still think, even with bullpen specialization, I still think you want five quality starting pitchers who can get you close to a 1,000 innings between the five of them. That's the ideal scenario. Um, you know, the Cubs are actually pretty darn close to that in 2016. Uh, extreme good luck when it came to the health of their starting pitchers. The fact that they jumped out to such a big lead so early allowed Joe Madden to kind of take his foot off the gas pedal with his pitchers so that the Cubs knew they were playing for a seventh month, and I think it worked out well for them with the big lead early that they could, they, they could keep those guys fresh. That being said, I just don't think that there's as much or as many quality starting pitchers, certainly not 200 pitchers, uh, to really count on that happening. So I actually look more at teams like Kansas City that you mentioned especially to me, the Los Angeles Dodgers, where it's all about inventory now, not just among starting pitchers, but about bullpen guys. You know, you have to build in a certain amount of rest, recovery, injuries for your pitchers pitchers throughout the season. And that's why I would say, looking at Seattle, I think there should be a concern about depth of pitching. The way I look at it, you better have eight major league starters ready to go on opening day, uh, because if you're counting on five, you know, you're, you're counting on hitting the lottery. It just doesn't happen enough. Um, and listen, I understand we're not asking starters to go eight and nine innings anymore, um, but I th- still think the preferred mode is to have quality starting pitching. Relying on a bullpen can work. We've seen it happen. Um, but I think it, it can be taxing as well if you go to the bullpen a lot. Tom, as you take a look and survey the American League West as it stands right now, Napoli now, Going to the Texas Rangers, a move that's been anticipated for the better part of, well, over a month, it seems like, at this point. But the Astros have certainly improved in a number of ways uh, this offseason. How do you see the Mariners stacking in, especially with kind of those uh, those top two teams that everyone's talking about, the two teams from Texas, but also the Angels and the A's as well? I think Seattle's right there. I mean, I'd still probably lean towards Houston because their everyday lineup is, it may be the highest scoring offense in the league when all is said and done. Um, but Seattle, I like what they've done in terms of getting more athletic, and I, I still think it's a very good offensive team. You know, right now I'd say that's a team that's looking at upper 80s wins and puts them right in the wild card mix, and if all things go well, possible division winner. Because as much as I, I like Houston's offense, I have real concerns about their starting pitching. And I still think they're going to wind up with Jose Quintana because I think that's the trade of need for Houston. They're, they're going to have to trade some of the depth they have with their young players, major league-ready prospects, and they can make that deal happen. Uh, and that, to me, would make them the clear favorite. I do think they're Quintana away from being the clear favorite in that division. Uh, Texas, uh, I haven't been in love with what they've done in this offseason. It was a team that rode just an incredible record in close games last year. 
Um, so their win total, I think, was probably giving an indication that um, they weren't as good as the record indicated. I think you saw that in the postseason as well. So to me, I, I, don't, I think it's a very interesting division. I actually have it written off the Angels, at least as a uh, uh, pseudo-contender. I think they can hang in there for four months. I don't think they're a playoff team, but I think they'll be better than they were last year. Um, to me, it's the most interesting division in baseball. And it, again, you'd have to ask, you have to force me to make a pick. I would say Houston right now, um, but I think it's pretty much up for grabs at this point. Well, Tom, as we mentioned, your fine work covering the postseason for Fox. Of course, your work begins even uh, before pitchers and catchers report. So your off season is a short one to begin with, and it sounds like your off season has been even shorter this year. I'm eager, Tom, to learn about this book that you're working on. Please tell us more. Yeah, it's, the book is The Cubs' Way. It's about really a, a five-year rebuild of the Cubs, heavy emphasis, of course, on the World Series of 2016. But it's really the inside story of how a team went from um, more than 100 losses to breaking the longest curse in sports. And it's got a lot to do with not just team architecture and the stories of the players who wound up with the Cubs, uh, but some of the inner workings and the philosophies of Joe Madden on, from the field level and Theo Epstein from the front office level about how you do change a culture and what's important in terms of building a winning, sustainable team in today's baseball. So there's a couple of lenses, obviously. There's a very narrow lens of what happened in October, and I think people will learn a lot more about a World Series, even if they watched every single pitch. I think they'll come away learning some things that happened behind the scenes. Um, but also a wider lens on what it takes to build a successful, sustainable champion in baseball in this age. Um, you know, to me, it's the story of the century, the Cubs winning the World Series. So it's something that I felt like I wanted to take a, a deeper dive into. So as soon as I got home from the World Series, it was, let me find out much more about how the Cubs did what they did. And it is an inside look at um, not just the October, but five years of building. Well, you had as good of a view and as good of a seat to watch that as, as anybody else, and we appreciate your fine coverage bringing that into our living rooms in the fall. And, uh, Tom, looking forward to hearing all your great work again this coming season. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Hot Stove. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Aaron. Thank you. One of the absolute best, Tom Verducci. What a pleasure to talk some baseball with him as we approach spring training. Mariners' first Cactus League game, the charity game, on the 25th against the San Diego Padres. Well, hey, uh, pitchers and catchers report on Valentine's Day, and you can pick up a Mariners Valentine's bundle, which includes a $60 Mariners gift card, as well as coupons for half-off Mariners tickets, a team store discount, a buy one, get one free Safeco Field tour, Mariners magazine, and popcorn at the game, all in a festive package. The Mariners Valentine's bundle is available for a limited time at all Mariners team stores and online at mariners.com slash gifts. When we come back here on the hot stove, we've got a very special piece on, well, truck day as the truck makes its 1,400-mile venture journey over to the Peoria Sports Complex. We're going to wrap things up when we come back in just a timeout. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. It's been fun talking baseball for a couple of hours here on the Hot Stove. Aaron, Mike, Shannon, producer-engineer Kevin Kremen, Matt Harden as well. We've had a great lineup of guests for the show here tonight, including manager Scott Service, who joined us for a couple of segments, in fact. And guys talking... During a commercial break, found it very interesting 
how candid, how honest Scott Service was saying that the time is now for the Mariners. He even threw out a team slogan, whatever it takes. Uh, we could decipher from the moves the Mariners and Jerry DePoto have made this winter that the time is now for the Mariners. I mean, they've pursued veteran players like Gene Segura, like Gerard Dyson as well, giving up uh, pitching, an area of need for the Mariners to get that, to win now around the core of Felix, Seager, Cano, Cruz. It's interesting, though, to hear the manager be that outspoken about it before even a pitch has been thrown in the Cactus League. I think it's been interesting to watch Scott, the way that he managed this club last year, and maybe more importantly, the way that uh, Jerry DePoto went about his business with all the changes that they were making and how important it was to win last year to, to basically get this thing turned around and moving in the right direction. And with Scott, um, I think it's going to be something – just from watching him last year and talking to him about the way that he manages, I think that's something that he's going to talk to the guys about in spring training and put some of that pressure on them. And I think that can be a healthy thing. And I think when you talk, you mentioned the veteran guys, Aaron, um, I think it's they're aware of that. And so the supporting cast is going to have to get on board right away or there's going to be changes. And I, I think that for myself, just through my own experiences um, playing, there is pressure involved in that, but I think it's healthy. And I, I think it gets everybody focused on the goal at hand, that is to get into the postseason. And I, I think that I, I really I liked hearing that from him, and I think it's something that, that we're going to hear him talk probably a lot about in spring training, which I think is a healthy thing. I don't think it was a window is closing thing. No, I, I didn't that, get that. No, there, there's confidence in what they have. There is confidence that they are going to be bringing some players up and that they're going to be able to acquire some players as well. So I didn't read it that way. I read it as... You know, we've had a year to all get to know each other, to get our systems in place. The Mariners have spent a very, very decent amount of money on this roster. And Jerry DePoto, when he, in, when he inherited the 40-man roster, he's only got eight players remaining from that 40-man uh, roster. And to me, it's more his team right now. They're building it to win. So, yeah, it is time. I, I don't think you didn't see the moves this offseason that you saw last offseason that in some part were necessary where – you had a lot of risk-reward type deals. I mean, they've gone out and they've gotten established players. They've gotten players that are coming off of good years like Segura. You don't have as many question marks. So with the core they have and what they've brought in, uh, I, with what I think is an improved bullpen, certainly experience-wise, a lot of them the experience picked up last year, but you remember at the end of spring training last year, they had to go get someone in Nick Vincent. They had, uh, I believe, lost three players to injury they're not good, and they had no velocity in that pen either. Coming out of spring training, they'll be better equipped in that uh, fashion as well. They've got the defense and the speed that they want, and for all of the, you don't really see the fireworks with the starting pitching. There is potential with James Paxton. There's potential with Felix Hernandez bouncing back. There's also, I, I think, um, what Jerry Depoto called the rotation was steady, which. It's not something you put on a T-shirt, but it, it's something that's from one of my blog posts. You can go check that out on MyNorthwest.com. But it's something that night after night after night, if you've got the guys giving you the six innings and handing it off to what you think is a good bullpen, that can be that much more valuable than having that one big guy. So I think that he looks at what they have, and, of course, it's time right now. I think they got so much out of the way last year. They're a better team on paper. I think it's that's, the right time to say that. But but I, I think that's my point to it all is it's so difficult to have a winning season 
And I think that when you get that, which is what they did last year, last year they took a big step forward. And I think that's going into a season when we didn't know what to expect. Nothing. New new manager, new coaching staff, new players, new general ma- I mean, all these things happen. And then you go out on the field and you start to compete. And as the season moves on, you start to feel it in August and September that we're in this thing and we're winning games. And even the way that Scott was managing for me watching him towards the end of the season was different than the way he managed the rest of the season, and that was trying to win tonight at all costs, which I think is a healthy thing. And now that you've done that, the next step is to win a few more games and get into the postseason, and that's that's the next difficult part. But you you may as well jump and try to get onto that momentum right now and move it forward, and I think they're, they're really aware of that, especially with the lineup they have, the guys in the middle of it. You mentioned the pitching. Um, Shannon, the bullpen is going to be critical for him as it is every year, especially in the way the game is managed in today's game. And depth is going to be important, but you have to take advantage of those situations. And I, I think that's the reason why we saw so many moves from Jerry to take that next step forward. The conversation we just heard with Tom Verducci, one of the interesting points that he made was his belief that for as valuable and important as bullpens are in baseball today, and, and we've talked about this over the last couple of years, he still believes that it's still built around your rotation and this idea of uh, hopefully going to spring training with eight starters, eight guys that you feel comfortable in your rotation. And I, I totally get where he's coming from. Uh, didn't have time to follow up and ask, really, I mean, how realistic is that to have eight guys? I mean, last year we thought the Mariners were rich with starting pitching. They had six, right? There was a competition for the last spot of the rotation. But uh, – how many teams can really say that they have eight starting pitchers going into camp that they feel they feel good about as being part of their five? I would say that probably not as many as you would think. Yeah, that's what I but think. I, but, I, but I think that we also, you mentioned that the six, how glaring that was for this club and them trying to fix things as they were moving along because of injury or lack of performance. And it's, it's critical to do that, and that's the reason why it's hard. Now, the difficult part, obviously, is you have your one, two, and three. Everybody feels great about that, but it's the four or five guy and then the six, seven, because they're going, to, they're going to contribute at some point. They're going to have to. They're going to be asked to. And if they can do that, then I think you have something. And that's a hard thing. That's the, probably the most difficult thing because along with all of those things, and we, and we saw it last year with Felix being injured for the first time and it seems like forever, the, the toll that that took on the bullpen and the amount of adjustments they had to make to the bullpen along the way because you're not getting those innings that you just automatically pencil in every year with Felix. It's seven, eight, nine every time he goes out there. That's a huge advantage for any manager. Um, so now you have this depth, and hopefully that will be the case. If they can move that amongst all of those guys, people are going to get hurt. You have to have people in the minor leagues that you can call back. More Mariners talk coming up right after this quick timeout. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Take advantage of the Safeco Field Suite special going on right now as we speak. When you pay in full for two or more suites, you'll receive a free private suite for select games in April and May. Your clients will enjoy a great space to catch the game, and, of course, you'll enjoy savings you'll secure with this special offer. For more information, just log on to mariners.com slash premium. Wrapping things up here on Truck Day, Aaron Goldsmith along with Shannon Dreher, Mike Blowers. Okay, guys, let's go around the horn. We're not going to talk about the big three, right? We're not going to talk about Felix, but let's talk about guys who maybe don't get talked about quite as much. If the Mariners are going to have a postseason caliber year, 
Who's it going to be? Who's the guy who's kind of beneath the fold right now who needs to be really a, a, a pretty major contributor? I, I don't know if he's beneath the fold, but I think that he could be critical for the Mariners, and I think that this is going to be a situation where it's really going to work out well for him and the Mariners, and that's Gallardo. He's really interesting to me. I, I've enjoyed watching him um, in the past in the way that he goes about his business. I think that pitching at Safeco Field is going to be a plus for him, and I think that with the outfield speed mm-hmm. that the Mariners have now, I think he's really going to benefit from that. If he stays healthy, I can see him as the season moves on, pitching deeper into games, um, helping the bullpen out in that respect. Um, but I just there's something about him that I've always appreciated watching him go about his business, and, and, and I, just, I just have a feeling this is going to be a really good fit for him and the Mariners. So I, I think Gallardo is somebody that could really help them. Is this like ordering dinner, Shannon? Do you need more time? Should no, I should no, I order no, no, now, no. or are I'm you good? Okay. He, okay. He's he's above the fold, but I don't think he should be a hundred percent at this point. Although he's, I think, somewhat earned it, if that makes any sense. But because he hasn't been doing it for long, and it's such an important okay, position. you're killing us with the lead in here. Okay, it's a horrible lead in. <laughs> terrible tease. You haven't figured it out. I think, and it's actually two players, Edwin Diaz slash Steve Ciszek. <sighs> I was gonna, I was thinking Ciszek, so that's a good call. And uh, I think that uh, Diaz saw some things that he hadn't seen before last year. I think the league saw him. I think that there are some adjustments that are going to have to be made with him. I also think that if Ciszek is pre-injury Ciszek, uh, just great insurance to have in that eighth inning, perhaps in the ninth, that they pitch Diaz in a more leveraged situation, or if they need to give him that day off too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, C-Sheck was was kind of my guy, along with Mike Zunino. I think uh, Jerry said it best, if Mike can run into some home runs, uh, take his walks, and do what he does defensively, uh, the Mariners, well, Zunino will have a great year, and I think the Mariners will, will certainly obviously benefit from that. He is a, a little bit of a question mark going into this full season as the Mariners' lead catcher, but I think... Uh, Zanino's a big part of it. Well, that's going to do it for us. Glad you could join us for the hot stove. We're going to hand things off to Gary Hill, a very special truck day piece. So for Shannon, for Mike, for Kevin Crimmon, and for Matt Harden, I'm Aaron Goldsmith. So long.